A few years ago, Audi had an ad campaign and their tagline was, good, different. Mitch picked it straight away from the title of the sermon. I think their point was to differentiate themselves from Coles and Woolies. We're different and we're good. And it's your call to think uh, whether or not they were telling the truth. Uh, Today, we're kicking off our series in the Sermon on the Mount and you'll find out why it's called the Sermon on the Mount in, on the Mount in a moment. I reckon the big thing Jesus is doing through his teaching is he's calling his people, he's calling us to be good different. Now, Matthew 5 to 7, uh, it's often called the Sermon on the Mount because it's a sermon, it's a record of Jesus' teaching, which happens on a mountain. So you can see where it got its name. So read with me from verse 1. This is Matthew 5, 1. Uh, now when, the, the, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, now we'll get to what Jesus says in a moment, but let's, let's put ourselves there on the mountain. Uh, the crowds and the disciples, we met them last week. Matthew 4, Jesus calls two pairs of brothers to follow him to become people fishers. And then there's the crowd. They're attracted to Jesus' healing. I reckon Jesus going up a mountain to give a message to the disciples and the crowd, to give God's word, I reckon we're meant to hear echoes of Moses and Mount Sinai. But mention of Moses gets us to a big question, which is how are we meant to approach Jesus' teaching? There are two main ways Christians have approached this sermon. Some think Jesus is giving a new law that the point of everything Jesus teaches is to show us how far we fall short. It shows us how sinful we are and causes us to run to the gospel. Others approach this teaching as Jesus setting the agenda. Uh, This is the beginning of Jesus' discipleship school. and The point is to teach his disciples how to live as his people. I reckon both approaches have got something going for them. But I reckon mainly Jesus is teaching us how to follow him. This is a picture of life in the kingdom of heaven. But as we live for Jesus and as we follow him, we will struggle with sin and fail to live his way. And so, of course, what Jesus teaches makes us run to him for mercy. Now, you might have read the sermon in a different way in the past. You might not be convinced by my approach, and that's okay. Let's see if this approach makes sense of what Jesus says. And let's keep chatting about this over lunch and and in our growth groups. As we sit at Jesus' feet and, and go to the first lesson of his discipleship school, what does Jesus teach us? Jesus teaches us what is valued in his kingdom. Remember the summary of his teaching? Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus' teaching, he's he's explaining what repentance looks like, what a life turned to God looks like. And he explains it by giving nine statements about what it means to be blessed. Uh, Now in the Old Testament, there are two different ideas caught up in the word blessed. One is found in the law. You'll be blessed if you obey God. You'll be cursed if you disobey God. The other one is found in the wisdom books in Psalms and Proverbs. And there, being blessed is more about being wise. The blessed man of Psalm 1 wisely lives God's way and enjoys the good life. 
And with this idea of blessing, the opposite isn't cursed, but woe. The, the kind of thing that makes you put your head in your hands. Or how foolish can you be? I think Jesus is using the word blessed in the second sense. He's not saying God will bless you if you do X, but this is the blessed life. This is the good life in the kingdom of heaven. And I think this fits with the way the blessings come with a promise. The promises aren't about getting into God's kingdom. The promises are enjoying life in the kingdom of heaven. It's not works that lead to salvation. It's that those who trust in Jesus, who live his way, they enjoy him forever. Uh, so in these, uh, these Beatitudes, there are nine statements of blessing. Uh, the first eight follow a pattern, the ninth is different. And all of them are surprising. They're not the kind of things we might naturally assume are blessed or valued. For example, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we naturally think it's the rich who are blessed. Though this isn't talking about money, it means knowing who God is and who we are. The Old Testament talks about a humble and contrite spirit. It's the same kind of thing. Though this is still surprising, in most cultures, confidence and boldness is what's valued. Why does Jesus say it's the poor in spirit who are blessed? Well, the promise gives us a hint. The humble before God are welcomed into the kingdom. And this makes sense because if you're poor in spirit, you'll repent. Uh, the second one also links to repentance. It's sorrow over sin. Verse 4, blessed are those who, are, who mourn, for they will be comforted. This isn't about sadness in general. Jesus isn't calling his people to be dour or grumpy. It's mourning over sin, your own sin, and over the brokenness and evil in the world. Our culture, our culture doesn't like grief. It doesn't like mourning, uh, even at funerals. We applaud the widow who holds it together at the funeral. But Jesus applauds those who see evil, sin, and see that death is horrible, and they feel it. And the promise is God will bring true and lasting comfort. Uh, the next one uh, is often misunderstood because it uses a word no one says anymore. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, meek doesn't mean weak, even though they rhyme. Meek is the idea of gentleness. In fact, that's how the word is often translated. I think it's the idea of not insisting on your own way, but giving up your comfort for the good of others. And the promise, inheriting the earth, or it could be translated, inherit the land, the promised land, we normally think the only way you get something is by putting yourself forward, insisting on your rights. But God promises the land, which is ultimately the new creation, to the meek, to those who give up their rights. Uh, the next one is about what our hearts desire. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Hungering and thirsting, it's about deep desire. But what are Jesus' followers to desire? Well, righteousness probably means God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. It's looking forward to the day when God finally defeats sin and evil. But it's also personal. Wanting to be right with God more than we want food or water. And the promise, well, God's going to do it. 
And he'll do it because he is merciful. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Uh, Mercy is removing consequences, not punishing. It's kindness. In the story Jesus tells, the Samaritan shows mercy to the bloke lying on the side of the road. The good religious people ignore him, but someone who would have been considered an enemy shows mercy. And if you know the story, mercy isn't just an attitude. He's just like, oh, that's really sad. No, it's costly kindness. And that's what God shows his people. God's mercy costs the cross. Now, the merciful receiving mercy, it's not a tit-for-tat kind of thing. It's not We don't show mercy to earn God's mercy, but because God is merciful... When we know God's mercy, we show mercy to others. Uh, The next one, its promise is that we would see God. I reckon in our kind of church, we might be tempted to think, if the promise is seeing God, it must say, blessed are the theologically correct. That's not what Jesus says. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I don't think pure in heart means perfection. It's about integrity. Later in the sermon, Jesus will critique people who do religious things. They might look good on the outside, but they do good things for their own benefit. They do it to build build their reputation, to line their pockets. But the pure in heart live with integrity. They live God's way because they love God. Now, this doesn't mean... If I don't feel it, then I I won't do it. No, Jesus isn't saying, if you don't feel like telling the truth, then just lie. No, this isn't an excuse for sin. It's about growing our desires, training our hearts to love what God loves. And the promise is seeing God. And we get a glimpse of this at the end of Revelation. In the new creation, God will dwell with his people. His people will see him. Uh, The next one is about relationships. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Uh, Peacemaking is resolving conflict, being quick to say sorry, quick to forgive when an apology is made. We try to teach it to our children. Say sorry for hurting Fred. Say, I forgive you to Susie. Some of us have said it to children but we struggle with it ourselves. We think, it's okay, we're adults. We get to hold our grudges. We get to stay, keep bitter. I'm not going to say sorry until he does. Peacemaking is hard. Now, peacemaking doesn't mean peace faking. Jesus isn't calling us to make peace with evil. There is a fake kind of peace you can have by calling evil good. Never disagreeing with someone who says false things about God. Jesus isn't encouraging that. That wouldn't fit with hungering for righteousness or being pure in heart. But on the other hand, some Christians think they're standing up for the truth when they're just being quarrelsome. They're just stirring up fights and division. This is the tension we've got to live with. Peacemaking is hard, but powerful and essential for disciples which is why we're running the Resolving Everyday Conflict course next term. Uh, The promise? Uh, Being a child or a son of God. Why are peacemakers sons of God? 
because this is what the Son of God has done. But we'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, the final blessing is a big challenge. Blessed are those who are persecuted for their, for, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's important. This is persecution because of righteousness. If people are against us because we're unkind, judgmental, grumpy, if we turn a blind eye to evil in our midst, that is not persecution. Jesus is talking about persecution because we live for him, because we live out these weird upside down or maybe it's right side up values of the beatitude of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about persecution when we live for him. But we know the kind of things that happen. When you hear about mobs burning down the meeting place of a church, how is that a blessed situation? Well, we've got to remember what we said at the beginning. The word blessed, it's not about good things happening to you. It's about being the kind of person Jesus calls us to be. And Jesus calls us to live for him even when we're attacked. Because that's what the prophets did. It's also what we see in Jesus. Jesus' point is, persecution isn't proof of God's rejection or disappointment. In fact, it's the opposite. When believers are persecuted for righteousness and when they continue to be peacemakers and meek, they show Jesus is more valuable than our comfort and our preferences. It's the same with mourning or being poor in spirit. To the world, the blessed life looks weak and pathetic. But in the kingdom of heaven, this is valued. It's valued because it shows that we value Jesus more than anything else in the world. That we value a right relationship with God and with people more than our comfort. That's where we find our joy. Now, as we've gone through these values, these virtues of the kingdom... Let's be honest, most of them sound impossible. Who can be pure in heart? Always integrity, the, the heart and the actions in line and both of them being right. Who's always merciful or always a peacemaker? Who is, who's up to this? Well, first of all, Jesus is talking about himself. He is the most blessed one because he embodies and lives out these values perfectly. Uh, Jesus mourns, he weeps over Jerusalem, he weeps at Lazarus' tomb. Jesus is meek, uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, or meek, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is meek, Jesus mourns, and you could go through the whole lot, Jesus does them all perfectly. And so first up, as we hear the Beatitudes and feel inadequate and guilty, look to Jesus. He lives the values of the kingdom perfectly and he does this to be our substitute and representative. But at the same time, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Jesus calls his people, us, to live out these values. And we don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to say, look... Being a peacemaker, yeah, I'll do that one, but I'll, I'll skip the persecution. No, like the fruit of the Spirit, it's a group buy. 
This is what life looks like when we follow Jesus. We're to grow in them all. Pursue this. Ask God to grow this in us. And this is where it's important to see a shift from verses 10 to 11. The first eight Beatitudes, I haven't mentioned this, Beatitudes is just the Latin word that means blessed. Some weird reason we've kept that Latin word around. We just call, should call them the blessedtudes or something. Anyway, the first, the first eight talk about the blessed one. Blessed is the one. It's about an individual, primarily Jesus, and then each person who follows him. But verse 11 talks to you, and that's plural, yous. The point is, we cannot live out these values by ourselves. The, the, the pinnacle, the highlight is the use moment. We need each other. We need a community of disciples. We need church. And that's what gets hammered home in the final three pictures. So read with me from verse 13. Uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our three pictures, salt, light, city. And Jesus says, use are these things. His people, his disciples, us, his church, we're called to be these three things. But what do they mean? Uh, The thing about word pictures, they often spark lots of ideas and lots of true ideas. But I reckon with these three, Jesus puts them together and we're meant to find a common thread. They're all saying the same thing. Uh, What they're all saying is Jesus' followers will stand out. As we live by the values of the kingdom and not the values of our culture, we'll be different, we'll be noticeable. That's the point. Salt stands out on your food. You notice what it's, what it's there and when it's not. Light shines. Even a, a torch with dying batteries, you, you notice it in the dark. Cities on a hill, you can't miss them. They're seen from miles around. Jesus calls us to stand out, be different. Not Bad different, but good different. As his people, as we live consistently and wholeheartedly for Jesus, we're going to stand out from the rest of humanity. Uh, There are also some Old Testament ideas linked and tied up in these images. Uh, Salt is linked to God's promises, his covenant people. 2 Chronicles 13.5 talks about a covenant of salt. It's not a common term, but it's in the Old Testament a few times. So maybe along with standing out, being salty is about being God's people. Jesus says, you're going to be the new covenant people of God. Uh, Light, light of the world reminds us of Matthew 4 and the quote from Isaiah. Jesus is a light shining in the darkness. And here Jesus says, his followers, we're also to be a light shining in there too. Uh, The city on a hill, I can't imagine it's anything other than Jerusalem. In Isaiah, there are promises of a restored and renewed city. But Jesus says, the city on a hill is not a place, it's a people. You are that city on a hill. Are These three pictures, they're Old Testament pictures of the people of God. And God's people are meant to stand out. Uh, This might be a bit different 
from what you have heard before. It's fairly common to think of salt of the earth as being about preservation. Salt is used to preserve meat and it has some therapeutic uses. And so some think Jesus calls his followers to preserve the world, to improve the character, the flavour of our community, of the world. That our mission, that the mission Jesus is calling us to is to make the world behave more Christianly. I'm not convinced. It doesn't fit with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart. Not blessed are those who have Christian values but reject Jesus. Jesus' mission isn't to make people nicer. The goal of the church isn't to influence society so people behave nicely, so there are lots of nice people who don't trust in Jesus and spend eternity in hell. We're not called to build a kingdom that has no relationship to Jesus. Now, of course, Christians and the teaching of Jesus has made an impact on our culture. So, for example, the the only reason our culture believes in human rights is because of Jesus. We don't learn human rights from the Romans. It's not something you can discover in a science lab. The idea of human rights comes from Jesus. And I'm thankful to live in a society that's shaped in part by Jesus. But that's not our mission. It's an occasional side effect of loving our neighbours... But Jesus calls his church to stand out, to be good different. And being good different has two very different results. Sometimes we'll be persecuted because of righteousness. Other times, people will see our good deeds and glorify God. In God's grace, they'll see the difference, they'll hear why we're different, it's because of Jesus, and they'll mourn their own sin. They'll hunger for righteousness and come to Jesus, the great peacemaker. So how do we do this? How are we going to stay salty? Especially with the reality of persecution and just the temptation to fit in, to hide the light, to lose our saltiness. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to be different. We want to be good same, but Jesus calls us to be good different. How are we going to do it? Uh, Number one, look to Jesus. Jesus is the blessed one and it's only because of his perfect life and the pouring out of his spirit that we can be changed to follow him. Uh, Two, we need each other. God doesn't promise to grow or change anyone apart from deep Christian community. We are the salt, the light and the city. Us together, not separated. We need the example and encouragement of each other. And so... Keep coming. The whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching his disciples. He's teaching us how to stay salty. So church and growth group this term is a great way to keep listening to Jesus, praying he'll be changing us so we'll be good different, and that through our light and salt, through being a city on a hill, that many people in our families, our schools, our workplaces, our neighbourhoods, that many would glorify our Father in heaven. So let's ask God to do this. Let's pray. Father God, please may the words of Jesus continue to ring in our heart, our ears and pierce our hearts. Thank you so much that Jesus is the blessed one, that he both lives out the values of the kingdom of heaven, that we might follow him, but even more that his perfection means he is worthy to be our perfect sacrifice and peacemaker. 
we praise you that in Jesus our hunger and thirst for righteousness is satisfied. Please be making a salt, light, a city on a hill. May we encourage each other to live wholeheartedly for Jesus and to do this boldly that people might see the difference Jesus makes. Strengthen us to do this even when righteousness leads to persecution. And we ask that in your kindness, that through our good different lives and through the gospel being spread, that many in our families, schools and workplaces and thousands in our region would come to give you the praise and glory you deserve. Amen.